Environmental, social, and governance are top of mind for many people. DSGs are driving investment strategies and are being built into corporate policies. For some pressing environmental issues, such as the carbon crisis, we're seeing credit marketplaces emerge. Most people will agree that being able to measure and account for ESGs and is in principle a very good thing on many levels, but it has historically been very difficult to execute. Welcome to W3B Talks, an ongoing exploration of the impact of Web3 and blockchain technologies on business, government, and society. My name's Doug Heinzman. I'm the Chief Catalyst at the Blockchain Research Institute. In this episode, we're going to look at how blockchain is being applied to, e to the ESG challenge. To help us better understand this complex topic, I am absolutely delighted to welcome Alexis Pappas. Alexis is the Chief Innovation Officer at Guild One, a Canadian blockchain and fintech firm. Alexis is a consultant and instructor at the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology and the Executive Director of the Canadian Blockchain Association for Women. Welcome to the podcast, Alexis. Thank you, Douglas. I'm very excited to be here. This is such an important topic, especially in the lead up to COP27 and COP15. Indeed. And uh, I think it's going to be a great discussion. Yeah. So, well, let's let's kind of start off with, uh, you know, kind of the urgency questions. Uh, in the intro, I, I talked about some of the stresses on the planet. And obviously, over the summer, we've seen, you know, record-breaking heat waves and wildfires and, uh, you know, hurricanes and typhoons. Uh, you know, melting polar caps. Uh, this, you know, the, 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 this is becoming, you know, an existential uh, issue. And, and, and as I also mentioned, you know, increasingly we have activist investors that are, you know, putting pressures on businesses to incorporate uh, more and more externalities into what they do. And I think the big, the big issue here, the big opportunity here is, you know, revolves around externalities. So we've, We've always had externalities like things like carbon content uh, that have been part of the products that we consume forever. But we now are getting more and more ability to measure these things and to ledger these things and to trade these things. And so the ability to incorporate externalities into you know, the cost of products and put a price on it as well as into decision making seems to me a pretty big deal. Is, is that is that the, the basic idea here? Yeah, I think that uh, in the coming years, we're going to see more and more pressure put on corporations and other large organizations to be able to surface accurate data around the emissions content of things like retail products, uh, as well as uh, their overall business operations extending into their supply chains, um, you know, per the scope three measurement protocol uh, for emissions. And I think that blockchain is going to be a really important enabling technology uh, because it can provide a lot of traceability into these emissions. Uh, it can be used to verify emissions status and I think that it's going to going to form uh, the infrastructure for a much greener economy by facilitating not only this intelligence across you know counterparties and different organizations throughout supply chains but becoming tools that we can use to mitigate these emissions through things like digitalized carbon offsets so let me just pick up on one point you were just you were just making there you, you referred to scope three. Could you just, um, in, in, the, in the context of a supply chain, could you just help us understand what you mean by that and what the real issue is? 
Mm -hmm. Scope 3 is a comprehensive measurement protocol that looks not only at the direct energy consumption of an organization, but also the emissions through the entire supply chain of, you know, say, a, a particular product. Uh, in the oil and gas industry, Scope 3 emissions are starting to be represented as something called environmental product declarations, which have a myriad of different inputs. Um, uh, across oil and gas value chains for the different areas where emissions are expected. Um, these have actually been used in industries like construction uh, for many years to be able to form the basis for LEED certifications uh, for buildings and provide a template basically for all of the different emissions points uh, in a supply chain that can end up as a much more holistic calculation. Yeah. So I, I think the, the leads example is a, is a good one. And the idea of, of taking a much more holistic systems view of things makes a ton of sense. The, the scope three issues, uh, I, I, one of the places I think it's, it's so interesting to, you know, where they're manifest is, that investors are increasingly looking to, you know, deploy capital in ways that are cognizant of or take into consideration the ESG component. Uh, and, you know, one of the challenges we have, of course, is that, you know, for example, if you're investing in a major, you know, e-retailer uh, and they have, you know, a very large amount of revenue associated with it, and they might have a really good ESG rating because they've got strong governance, and you know, in their operations, they've they're doing they're all the right things on carbon, et cetera. But a vast amount of the value of that revenue, right, 74, 80 percent of that value, is actually coming from you know other products and other vendors that are part of a, an extended supply chain, and none of the social or governance or, or environmental impact of those inputs is incorporated into that ESG rating. And, you know, I think it's quite reasonable for, for investors to be skeptical of some of those ratings because they're not holistic. I mean, is that fair? And what do we do about it? I think it's very fair. Um, and I think, you know, to your point as well, the incorporation of other types of criteria like social good into those ratings is is very important. And those things uh, at times can be hard to track and hard to quantify. But I think the biggest value blockchain um, in that is to provide a platform for a variety of different counterparties to align around the same standards, the same processes, the same terminology uh, for things like uh, ESG ratings or emissions calculations, because the fragmentation uh, in the market is currently a major barrier to any level of accuracy in those types of rating systems. Yeah, so it, you know, the, the, some part of the criticism I always hear is kind of twofold, right? One is uh, or actually multifold, I guess. Well, one is that this is, it's difficult to audit this stuff. It's inauditable. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's best behavior sort of counting. And, you know, if you're really going to turn this into an asset and create a marketplace around it, you need to have true confidence in the auditability. And you also have to have true confidence in the actual scarcity of things, that things don't get double counted. Um, and that people aren't taking, you know, credit for the same thing multiple times and then, you know, recounting that in multiple ways. 
And I think those are also valid uh, criticisms. So let's start with the with the uh, the climate, the the environmental component, and, and we'll talk about carbon. You know, as a bit of an exemplar, maybe the most important component that certainly we're spending a lot of time on. Um, you know, part of the problem is measurement, and then part of the problem is ledgering, right? And to make sure that that as a product moves through a supply chain, that its constituent carbon is accounted for and kind of moves with it and gets, you know, fractionalized as the product or the resource gets fractionalized. Uh, is so. Have you seen? Is this happening? Are we building systems to help? You know, with both of those problems. Yeah, well, I mean, I would say that that's become one of our primary uh, missions at Guild One and something that we're actively developing uh, for a number of different projects that we're going to be announcing in the next couple of months. Um, a really big challenge is apportioning responsibility across supply chains. And uh, that's something where permission blockchains and smart contracts can create a very highly automated system for not only uh, the registration of all of this emissions data, but the apportioning of responsibility to the different participants across these supply chains. Um, carbon is a really interesting area because it's something that's very quantifiable. Uh, of course, it's you know going to be a leading asset class for financing a lot of the energy transition pro projects around the world, uh, but the market's currently have a lot of challenges. Uh, some studies have found that as many as 90% of all the voluntary carbon offsets on the market don't actually meet criteria for a ton of sequestered carbon. And then when you add in double counting and all of the other challenges, this is kind of an ideal use case for blockchain to solve. Yeah, so, okay, so that's so interesting because you, you, you actually touched on the, the first part of that question, which is, you know, the measurement question. And I think that 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 IoT and the ledgering, you know, near source of consumption and, and better standards around, you know, what it means to have an offset and what the criteria are. I think all that is going to help with that. And blockchain's ability to kind of track and trace all of that through a supply chain so that it gets fractionalized and distributed and assigned in ways that make sense and that there's integrity around, you know, the the, the componentry of of that uh, of those. Uh, of that carbon content, um, and to the extent that we can, uh, you know, collectively have a strong degree of confidence around it, that's part of the equation. But where you took it, I think, is the other part of the equation that I think is really interesting, and that is that if you can count these things really well, and if you have confidence in them, then you can turn them into assets, and you can build a marketplace around it, and you can put a price on it. So, mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about what's going on? in the carbon market. I mean, quite aside from counting it and measuring it and figuring out where it goes, what's, what, what is the carbon marketplace? What, what does carbon as an asset class really mean? <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's a market that gets a lot of very legitimate criticism, and a lot of it is around uh, the lack of validation um, of carbon credits. And this is another big problem that I would add that blockchain has the capacity to solve. 
uh, one of the things that we've developed at Guild One is a validation ecosystem on chain that allows different authorities, including assurance companies and regulators, to participate in the actual validation process, both of emissions as well as carbon offsets. And I think that that's going to be really critical for not only having traceability into the data, but knowing that that data has integrity. And for the carbon markets, I mean, this is an area that is accelerating very quickly. Um, it's predicted to grow from just about $2 billion last year uh, in the voluntary markets to potentially $180 billion by just 2030, uh, because this is going to be a key mechanism and in some cases almost kind of a green currency uh, that's going to fill in a lot of gaps between what companies are able to do in terms of their absolute emissions reductions from things like switching to renewables uh, and um, the gaps that, that still exist where they can't, uh, they can't reduce emissions. Um, it's also becoming very popular with investors. There are a number of different carbon ETFs that have been launched all over the world. Um, and the interesting thing about it is uh, because... Uh, a lot of the offsetting that goes on around the world is being pushed by different jurisdictional regulations, as well as, as you mentioned earlier, uh, investor demand for much better ESG performance on the part of companies. It's potentially uh, one of the leading non-correlated asset classes that isn't going to necessarily be as subject to different you know, areas of market volatility as other types of assets are. So rising demand, both from companies that intend to consume carbon credits, uh, voluntary carbon credits as offsets, as well as from investors who are seeing it as having some really unique financial properties. So if I had to summarize what you were just explaining, would it be fair to say that, you know, the marketplace allows people that create products that have carbon content in them? I mean, you know, things like the petroleum industry would be an obvious example that they would, you know, go and buy a credit in order to, you know, offset the carbon that they create so that they can, you know, have a carbon neutral stance. And that there's other parties in the marketplace that may be doing certain things. Well, quite famously, Tesla, you know, was able to leverage carbon credits because of the offset impact of electrification transportation. And that, um, you know, that influx of, of capital because of their generation of these credits and the marketplace that supported it was able to be used as a, a significant subsidy that helped them build up their business to the point where it was self-sustainable. Is, mm. is, is that how the mechanism is designed to work? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say that it's not intended in many cases to be, you know, sort of like indulgences for companies to be able to emit more as long as, you know, they purchase a certain number of carbon credits. But it's a really interesting sustainable finance mechanism uh, that can help, uh, especially through different areas of monetization, like, you know, sales to funds and ETFs and as futures can actually um, fund the development of sustainable projects like reforestation or like renewables projects or other areas where um, that additional financing can actually make them possible. Yeah, I, I find this whole idea of being able to, 
you know, turn some sort of environmental impact into a token and be able to trade that token in marketplace. You know, it's, it's really interesting. I've, I've been working with a, a company that is, you know, built an ecosystem around people that run around and, and clean up uh, beaches and take plastics off of beaches and in doing so actually earn credits. And those credits are actually financed by companies that have a, an environmental mandate and they can convert those to some sort of currency that can be used inside that ecosystem to acquire certain kinds of products at discounts or for free or whatever. And it's just about bringing together all kinds of ecosystem participants to solve, in this case, you know, environmental and pollution issues. So I find it you know, absolutely fascinating how this technology can be leveraged, uh, certainly to help with the carbon problem, which is, as I said, existential. Uh, but with many other sort of, you know, pollution or environmental oriented uh, issues. So that's that's kind of that's 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 fascinating. Related to this, I had a question about, um, you know, food waste. Uh, and, you know, does that fit into this equation? The uh, you know, it, it, a lot of people are saying that over the next 20, 30 years, especially because of the, the climate uh, problem, that uh, we're going to have increasingly large challenges around feeding the planet. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's kind of two issues there, right? One is developing the technologies to make crops more resistant to excessive heat and drought and those sorts of things. And all that's fine and well. But the other is is the waste problem. I and mean, today we have somewhere in the order of about a third of all of the calories that we actually generate on farms are um, are eventually wasted and never consumed by by humans or animals. So can we deploy any of this this blockchain for good, blockchain for ESG technology to support that, to solve that problem? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I really like the term existential for the threat that climate change poses to our civilization. Um, the latest UN report um, that came out uh, just about a week ago uh, suggested that we're on track for somewhere between two and three degrees of warming um, by uh, 2100, um, you know, far in excess of the 1.5 degrees within this century that, um, you know, we had set as a goal uh, under the terms of the Paris Agreement. And this is going to cause massive changes to our world. Um, by uh, 2050, it's predicted that there are going to be 10 billion people on the planet. Uh, but at the current rate of deforestation and habitat loss, and also the impacts of climate change uh, on arable land, there's going to be a lot less available in terms of um, food resources. So it's a very dangerous set of trends that are moving in opposite directions that, you know, we are going to have this accelerating population at the same time as we have much less of a capacity to feed them. So that means that we need to get a lot more efficient. And that's one of the best use cases for blockchain technology uh, in terms of supply chains is increasing efficiency. There was a, a great report that came out uh, in 2020 by PwC called Time for Trust, and it looked at the holistic impact of blockchain on the global economy. And what they found is that in terms of 
creating efficiencies, reducing waste, reducing manual processes, and you know the need to uh, constantly verify data. Uh, that blockchain could boost the global economy by $1.76 trillion by just 2030. And this applies directly to the food waste problem, which is just one of these major efficiencies that blockchain has the potential to solve. Um, I think that the predictions about food insecurity mean that we're going to need much better tracking systems uh, for food products, and we're going to be able need to be able to automate the process of identifying areas of need and shifting supplies to them. And that's something that uh, both blockchain traceability, geo blockchains that integrate um, mapping data and uh, smart contracts. Uh, are going to be really pivotal in helping solve. Okay, that's, uh, wow. That sounds, sounds hopeful. I mean, first of all, the, the, the problem <laughs> you're defining sounds absolutely terrifying. Um, but the idea of using, you know, blockchain and Web3 technologies to address a big part of that problem uh, seems to me something that's doable, right? That we're not waiting for some sort of, you know, miraculous scientific breakthrough on in genetics or something like that, that, that this is something that's executable. Well, I think that, you know, you mentioned that a third of all food around the world ends up as waste. You know, that means that we can support a significantly higher population if our distribution systems are better organized, first of all, and secondly, much more automated. And uh, I think that is a reason to be hopeful because, you know, we do have examples of blockchain uh, significantly improving food supply chains, like a great pilot that Walmart did a couple of years ago in Ontario, Canada. Um, and I think that, you know, as we continue to have these pressures, companies are going to be incentivized to start investing in them and adopting them. Okay, so let's, well, let's build on that topic um, of, of food and, and move it into the discussion about the social good component of, of ESGs. Um, and you, you talked about the role of blockchain in, in the supply chain issues around around food but it all you know beyond things like the carbon content of the transportation and beyond the you know helping deal with the, the food wastage problem because you know where stuff is and you know how vulnerable it is to spoilage and you can figure out you know temperature excursions and transportation all kinds of stuff like that beyond all of that there are some social benefits ranging from the provenance issues around food for, you know, understanding if things are organically farmed or if they contain allergens or if they've been farmed according to fair trade practices. Um, and so there, there are not only some environmental issues there, but there's some kind of social, you know, local economy issues, the equitable distribution of value creation issues that apparently it can be addressed. I mean, do you have any, any thoughts about how we can, you know, help with some of those issues? Yeah, there are some really interesting projects currently in the market around establishing, as you mentioned, the fair trade status of products like coffee, as well as uh, cobalt for different auto manufacturers. So BMW so actually had a really interesting uh, pilot project that used blockchain to track um, the 
origins of uh, some of the inputs into its vehicle manufacturing um, to confirm that there was no slavery or child exploitation involved. And I think that uh, consumers are definitely getting a lot more uh, demanding as they should when it comes to the transparency of companies about where their products come from, who is involved in creating it, and whether or not local communities benefited. And I want to add as well that there are also some really inspiring um, projects going on around the world that I think give me a lot of cause for optimism anyway, um, that as this technology becomes more adopted, uh, communities in a direct way are going to start seeing more benefits from um, the products that are, you know, leveraging their uh, traditional resources and that kind of thing. And I think blockchain is a is a great tool for, as you mentioned as well, resource distribution. Um, you could, for example, have a, uh, a fruit, you know, growing operation uh, somewhere in the Amazon uh, that's maintained by a local community. Uh, and you would have a traceable uh, certificate that would have you know, very rich data about the origins of the product, about the emissions impact of the supply chain. And as those products moved into the market, you could also have, um, you know, based on uh, the revenue that's generated, smart contracts that distribute a percentage of that income back to the village for other sustainability projects or for education. I think there's a lot of really interesting ways that this, these types of systems can actually turn, you know, communities who've been historically the source of exploitation by, you know, large businesses into stakeholders in economic development. So that's that's really interesting. The, the idea of using smart contracts to, you know, distribute the value component of any good to the participants in the creation of that value in, in ways that are first of all equitable and second of all that consumers would want to see, um, you know, executed that that they can incorporate that into their their buying. I mean, you you had mentioned the ethical sourcing um, applications and the stuff that Volvo and other car companies are doing around cobalt and uh, their componentry and in electric vehicle batteries. I mean, right now we go and buy an electric vehicle, and you know it it has certain specifications and certain range. But a lot of us don't kind of think about, oh, this component was, you know, mined by child labor in harsh conditions, and I don't want to have anything, any part of that. Um, as, as these ethical sourcing issues become, you know, ledgered, and we can actually, you know, count uh, what the, what, how important they are to the componentry of the stuff we're consuming. Do you see consumer behaviors starting to change as we're able to surface that information so they can, they can alter their buying behaviors and, and thus, um, you know, influence the way that, that, uh, companies build and deliver their products? Do you see a virtuous cycle going on here that by virtue of exposing the information, that we can now apply consumer pressure to help companies behave in ethical ways. I think so. Um, I think that there, you know, will certainly be a, you know, perhaps minority of people who 
have always wanted uh, more information about the source of the products and, you know, the food that they consume. Um, I think that it all depends on how that information is represented. I think that if it's something that is really easily accessible, um, that paints, you know, a really clear narrative and, um, and is something that people are sort of confronted with in their consumer behavior, then I think that it, it absolutely will have an impact. Um, I don't know how big the shift of consumer demand uh, will be relative to that of investors. I think investors in some ways are having a much stronger influence on these types of you know, ESG technology adoptions by companies. But I think that there will certainly be uh, a very strong cohort of people who preferentially consume as they do now with organic and fair trade products. Um, you know, things that they know to come from, from ethical and sustainable sources. Yeah. It's, I, I think about what happened when we, when we put those, um, energy star rating stickers on appliances and, and how people can now, you know, think about not only what it costs, but what it's running costs are and, and how much energy they'll consume. Or, or when I, when I go to the, the, the local supermarket or fishmonger, that there's, you know, ethically fished, there's a stamp on it that says that it's been certified. So I do find this, this question about if you expose certain information to the public, how that might change their, their behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the, the last of the ESGs of course is governance. And, you know, I think this is one of the ones that the people have a little more trouble getting their heads around. Um, but you know, governance, does, does, a, does a company or a process or a supply chain have, you know, the effective controls in place to ensure that, you know, that there's no fraud or corruption? Um, you know, how, how do you see, you know, blockchain affecting the, the G component of ESGs? Mm, yeah, that is a bit of a harder one to pin down. I think the biggest benefit of blockchain to governance is that it provides a platform for different companies, different organizations to align around the same governance principles, uh, agree to them upfront, and then have them as an automated part of their transaction or their business process. And I think that's really key because the fragmentation in the market currently around things like, you know, for example, uh, emissions calculation standards is a major barrier to widespread adoption. Uh, And this is something that, you know, falls under governance, you know, which international agencies protocols do we plan to use for our supply chain wide emissions calculation system? I mean, currently different companies, uh, if they are doing comprehensive emissions calculations, for example, you know, might be all using, you know, somewhat different uh, protocols. And I think as well that having a platform to align all these counterparties around other elements of governance, um, like how to integrate, you know, the social component of ESG into their business uh, is really valuable. And I think that's one of, um, you know, the really big impacts of blockchain uh, that, you know, not only are you able to share data across these networks uh, in a trusted fashion, but you can also use them as a mechanism for sharing values. Yeah, and I, I suppose that as new structures of business emerge, that 
you know, don't have traditional hierarchical governance structures, the you know, decentralized autonomous organizations that have any number of kind of automated and decentralized governance models that uh, will start to figure out how, you know, which ones of those make sense and are socially constructive and, you know, merit our, uh, our attention. So that's 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 I, I just I think that's a fascinating topic, and I think there's a lot more to be said about that, or a lot more to be discovered over the next few years. So finally, two final questions for you. One question is, you know, what do you see as the big challenges? What um, you know, you've talked about a lot of potential uh, of changing and helping a lot of different domains, but what are the biggest obstacles to making significant progress? That's a really good question. Um, I think the kind of external imperatives that we've talked about, uh, such as climate change, uh, changing regulations, pressure from investors, are starting to drive companies towards these types of technological solutions. Um, but I think that uh, there's a lot more actual capital investment uh, that needs to go into them, um, especially to build you know, internal capacity in organizations for supporting technologies like blockchain. That's one of the biggest challenges from a you know, sort of business blockchain perspective is that most of these major companies, you know, even the ones who are running you know, some select blockchain pilots, don't have the internal talent to be able to sustain much more, you know, sort of at scale adoption. Uh, I think another big barrier is education. Um, I remember, you know, about five years ago when I first started off in the industry uh, and focusing on permission blockchain, most of the education that I ended up having to do uh, within industry was really on the difference between Bitcoin and other applications for blockchain. I think that we've, you know, moved past that to some extent, but the real business value of blockchain is something that I think uh, a lot of organizations, especially at a C-suite level, don't necessarily understand. And another challenge that I would point to um, as my last one is that uh, these types of, you know, blockchain networks, such as, for example, you know, carbon accounting across supply chains, there are a number of different integration points that they need, um, which does pose a challenge. And one of those is uh, at times requiring integration with secure uh, corporate business systems. Uh, well, public blockchains, you know, do you get a lot of the limelight? Um, typically, they're not secure enough and their encryption standards aren't high enough to support, you know, an integration with, you know, a company's, you know, SAP infrastructure uh, that might hold a lot of the reporting data that would need to flow uh, into the blockchain. So I think that, you know, that's another big issue and that's a really key way where permission networks uh, like Corda, which we use, are going to be able to form a bridge in between those existing business systems and their compliance requirements and then things like public digital markets. Okay. And my final question to you is, how do you think you're going to be surprised or, or we're going to be surprised? Uh, where, where are the, the places that this technology gets deployed and, you know, makes a difference that we, you know, that hasn't made the kind of top 10 lists that people talk about of, you know, the obvious use cases? Where are we going to kind of wake up in the morning and go, wow, didn't see that coming? Well, I would 
let's start with one that you know maybe is on a fairly small level, but I think it's uh, really interesting, uh, and that's in animal conservation. Animal conservation uh, suffers from a lot of the same data management uh, challenges as other sectors, uh, very fragmented, and a really high, surprisingly high need for security. Um, last year, there was a case where hackers uh, actually tried to access um, the uh, GPS data from a collar, a tracking collar that was being worn by an endangered and, you know, very, very rare um, tiger in uh, in Southeast Asia. And this is actually a really common and growing problem with other key species um, like sharks and elephants. The, the databases that are used to record the information about these animals, including a lot of the time tracking data, uh, are accessible by hackers. And that's one way that more technologically advanced poachers are able to access uh, these animals. And I think blockchain can be, and will be a really interesting solution for encrypted, secure uh, tracking of endangered species uh, in a way that protects them from threats like poachers, as well as provides uh, a lot of very valuable and very shareable data about the animals. I would say that another area where I think blockchain is underdeveloped but is going to have a big impact going forward is on public markets. Um, So currently about a third of all the assets under management globally uh, are ESG assets. But just last year, ratings agency Morningstar had to strip about a trillion dollars worth of assets out of the European ESG market for greenwashing. And of course, there have been, you know, greenwashing challenges with Deutsche Bank and other large financial institutions globally. And while a lot of these investments are represented as being ESG, uh, a lot of the information uh, that supports that isn't verified. And this is causing big problems because, you know, of course, the public markets are one of the biggest areas for the financing of sustainable projects. So I think tokenization and traceability are going to be able to play a really interesting role in creating, you know, almost like greenwashing resilient public market products going forward. Wow. Those, wow. Those are, those are two issues that uh, I hadn't, spend a lot of time thinking about. So thank you for that. That's very interesting. Thank you, Alexis, for helping us better understand what the intersection of blockchain and DSGs is all about. And thank you all for joining us for this episode of W3B Talks. You can find out research on this and many other topics at blockchainresearchinstitute.org. I'm your host, Doug Heinzman. We hope that you will join us for our next episode of W3B Talks. 